Section 54 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 3. The Nostos. Episode 17. Ithaca. Part 3. His, Bloom's, logical conclusion, having weighed the matter and allowing for possible error, that it was not a heaven-tree, not a heaven-grot, not a heaven-beast, not a heaven-man, that it was a utopia, there being no known method from the known to the unknown, an infinity renderable equally finite by the suppositious apposition of one or more bodies equally of the same and of different magnitudes, a mobility of illusory forms immobilized in space, remobilized in air, a past which possibly had ceased to exist as a present before its probable spectators had entered actual present existence. Was he more convinced of the aesthetic value of the spectacle? Indubitably in consequence of the reiterated examples of poets in the delirium of the frenzy of attachment or in the abasement of rejection invoking ardent sympathetic constellations or the frigidity of the satellite of their planet. Did he then accept as an article of belief the theory of astrological influences upon sublunary disasters? It seemed to him as possible of proof as of confutation, and the nomenclature employed in its selenographical charts as attributable to verifiable intuition as to fallacious analogy the lake of dreams, the sea of rains, the gulf of dews, the ocean of fecundity. What special affinities appeared to him to exist between the moon and woman? Her antiquity in preceding and surviving successive Tellurian generations, her nocturnal predominance, her satellitic dependence, her luminary reflection, her constancy under all her phases, rising and setting by her appointed times, waxing and waning, the forced invariability of her aspect, her indeterminate response to inaffirmative interrogation, her potency over effluent and refluent waters, her power to enamor, to mortify, to invest with beauty, to render insane, to incite to and aid delinquency, the tranquil inscrutability of her visage, the terribility of her isolated, dominant, implacable, resplendent propinquity, her omens of tempest and of calm, the stimulation of her light, her motion and her presence, the admonition of her craters, her arid seas, her silence, her splendor when visible, her attraction when invisible. What visible, luminous signs attracted Bloom's, who attracted Stephen's, gaze? In the second story, rear of his, Bloom's, house, the light of a paraffin oil lamp with oblique shade projected on a screen of roller blind supplied by Frank O'Hara, window blind, curtain pole, and revolving shutter manufacturer, 16 Ongier Street. How did he elucidate the mystery of an invisible, attractive person, his wife, Marion, Molly, Bloom, denoted by a visible, splendid sign, a lamp? with indirect and direct verbal allusions or affirmations, with subdued affection and admiration, with description, with impediment, with suggestion. Both then were silent? Silent, 
each contemplating the other in both mirrors of the reciprocal flesh of their his-not-his fellow faces. Were they indefinitely inactive? At Stephen's suggestion, at Bloom's instigation, both, first Stephen, then Bloom, in penumbra urinated, their sides contiguous, their organs of micturition reciprocally rendered invisible by manual circumposition, their gazes, first Bloom's, then Stephen's, elevated to the projected luminous and semiluminous shadow. Similarly, the trajectories of their first, the trajectories of their first sequent, then simultaneous urinations were dissimilar. Bloom's longer, less irruent, in the incomplete form of the bifurcated penultimate alphabetical letter, who in his ultimate year at high school, 1880 had been capable of attaining the point of greatest altitude against the whole concurrent strength of the institution, 210 scholars. Stevens higher, more sibilant, who in the ultimate hours of the previous day had augmented by diuretic consumption and insistent vesicle pressure. What different problems presented themselves to each concerning the invisible, audible, collateral organ of the other? To Bloom, the problems of irritability, tumescence, rigidity, reactivity, dimension, sanitariness, pilosity. To Stephen, the problem of the sacerdotal integrity of Jesus circumcised. I, January, holiday of obligation to hear Mass and abstain from unnecessary servile work. And the problem as to whether the divine prepuce, the carnal bridal ring of the Holy Roman Catholic Apostolic Church, conserved in Calcutta, were deserving of simple hyperduly or of the fourth degree of latria, accorded to the abscission of such divine excrescences as hair and toenails. What celestial sign was by both simultaneously observed? A star precipitated with great apparent velocity across the firmament from Vega in the lyre above the zenith, beyond the star group of the tress of Berenice towards the zodiacal sign of Leo. How did the centripetal remainer afford egress to the centrifugal departer? By inserting the barrel of an aruginated male key in the hole of an unstable female lock, obtaining a purchase on the bow of the key, and turning its wards from right to left, withdrawing a bolt from its staple, pulling inward spasmodically an obsolescent unhinged door, and revealing an aperture for free egress and free ingress. How did they take leave, one of the other, in separation? Standing perpendicular at the same door, and on different sides of its base, the lines of their valedictory arms, meeting at any point and forming any angle less than the sum of two right angles. What sound accompanied the union of their tangent, the disunion of their, respectively, centrifugal and centripetal hands? the sound of the peal of the hour of the night by the chime of the bells in the church of St. George. What echoes of that sound were by both and each heard? By Stephen, Liliata rutilantium turma surcemdet, jubilantium te virginium, chorus excipiat. By Bloom, hi-ho, 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 where were the several members of the company which, with Bloom that day at the bidding of that peel, had traveled from Sandy Mount in the south to Glasnevin in the north? Martin Cunningham, in bed. Jack Power, in bed. 
Simon Dedalus in bed, Ned Lambert in bed, Tom Kernan in bed, Joe Hines in bed, John Henry Menton in bed, Bernard Corrigan in bed, Patsy Dignam in bed, Patty Dignam in the grave. Alone, what did Bloom hear? The double reverberation of retreating feet on the heaven-born earth, the double vibration of a Jew's harp in the resonant lane. Alone, what did Bloom feel? The cold of interstellar space, thousands of degrees below freezing point or the absolute zero of Fahrenheit, centigrade, or Riemur, the incipient intimations of proximate dawn. Of what did bell chime and hand touch and footstep and lone chill remind him? Of companions now in various manners in different places defunct. Percy Apjohn, killed in action, Modder River. Philip Gilligan, Pathysis, Jervis Street Hospital. Matthew F. Kane, Accidental Drowning, Dublin Bay. Philip Moisel, Paimia, Heightsbury Street. Michael Hart, Pathysis, Mater Misericordiae Hospital. Patrick Dignam, Apoplexy, Sandy Mount. What prospect of what phenomena inclined him to remain? The disparition of three final stars, the diffusion of daybreak, the apparition of a new solar disk. Had he ever been a spectator of these phenomena? Once, in 1887, after a protracted performance of charades in the house of Luke Doyle Kimmage, he had awaited with patience the apparition of the diurnal phenomenon. Seated on a wall, his gaze turned in the direction of Mizrock the East. He remembered the initial paraphenomena. More active air, a matutinal distant cock ecclesiastical clocks at various points, Avine music, the isolated tread of an early wayfarer, the visible diffusion of the light of an invisible luminous body, the first golden limb of the resurgent sun perceptible low on the horizon. Did he remain? With deep inspiration he returned, retraversing the garden, re-entering the passage, re-closing the door. With brief suspiration he reassumed the candle, reascended the stairs, reapproached the door of the front room, hall floor, and re-entered. What suddenly arrested his ingress? The right temporal lobe of the hollow sphere of his cranium came into contact with a solid timber angle where, an infinitesimal but sensible fraction of a second later, a painful sensation was located in consequence of antecedent sensations transmitted and registered. Describe the alterations effected in the disposition of the articles of furniture. A sofa upholstered in prune plush had been translocated from opposite the door to the ingleside near the compactly furled Union Jack, an alteration which he had frequently intended to execute. The blue and white checker inlaid majolica-topped table had been placed opposite the door in the place vacated by the prune plush sofa. The walnut sideboard, a projecting angle of which had momentarily arrested his ingress, had been moved from its position beside the door to a more advantageous but more perilous position in front of the door. Two chairs had been moved from right and left of the ingleside to the position originally occupied by the blue and white checker inlaid majolica-topped table. Describe them. 1. A squat, stuffed easy chair, with stout arms extended and back slanted to the rear, which, repelled in recoil, had then upturned an irregular fringe of a rectangular rug, and now displayed on its amply upholstered seat a centralized, diffusing, 
diminishing discoloration. The other, a slender splayfoot chair of glossy cane curves, placed directly opposite the former, its frame from top to seat and from seat to base being varnished dark brown, its seat being a bright circle of white plated rush. What significances attached to these two chairs? Significances of similitude, of posture, of symbolism, of circumstantial evidence, of testimonial supermanence. What occupied the position originally occupied by the sideboard? A vertical piano, Cadby, with exposed keyboard, its closed coffin supporting a pair of long yellow ladies' gloves, and an emerald ashtray containing four consumed matches, a partly consumed cigarette, and two discolored ends of cigarettes, its music rests supporting the music in the key of G, natural for voice and piano, of Love's Old Sweet Song, words by G. Clifton Bingham, composed by J. L. Molloy, sung by Madame Antoinette Sterling, open at the last page with the final indications ad libitum, forte, pedal, and amato, sustained pedal, ritirando, close. With what sensations did Bloom contemplate in rotation these objects? With strain, elevating a candlestick. With pain, feeling on his right temple a contused tumescence. With attention, focusing his gaze on a large, dull, passive, and a slender, bright, active. With solicitation, bending and downturning the upturned rug fringe. With amusement, remembering Dr. Malachi Mulligan's scheme of color containing the gradation of green. With pleasure, repeating the words and antecedent act of perceiving through various channels of internal sensibility the consequent and concomitant tepid, pleasant diffusion of gradual discoloration. His next proceeding? From an open box on the majolica-topped table, he extracted a black diminutive cone one inch in height, placed it on its circular base on a small tin plate, placed his candlestick on the right corner of the mantelpiece, produced from his waistcoat a folded page of prospectus, illustrated, entitled Agendeth Natam, unfolded the same, examined it superficially, rolled it into a thin cylinder, ignited it in the candle flame, applied it, when ignited, to the apex of the cone till the latter reached the stage of rutilance, placed the cylinder in the basin of the candlestick, disposing its unconsumed part in such a manner as to facilitate total combustion. What followed this operation? The truncated conical crater summit of the diminutive volcano emitted a vertical and serpentine fume redolent of aromatic oriental incense. What homothetic objects other than the candlestick stood on the mantelpiece? A timepiece of striated Connemara marble stopped at the hour of 4.46 a.m. on the 21 March 1896. Matrimonial gift of Matthew Dillon. A dwarf tree of glacial arborescence under a transparent bell shade. Matrimonial gift of Luke and Carolyn Doyle. An embalmed owl. Matrimonial gift of Alderman John Hooper. What interchanges of looks took place between these three objects and Bloom? In the mirror of the gilt-boarded pier-glass, the undecorated back of the dwarf tree regarded the upright back of the embalmed owl. Before the mirror, the matrimonial gift of Alderman John Hooper, with a clear, melancholy, wise, bright, motionless, compassionate gaze, regarded Bloom, while Bloom with obscure, tranquil, profound, motionless, compassionated gaze regarded the matrimonial gift of Luke and Carolyn Doyle.
What composite asymmetrical image in the mirror then attracted his attention? The image of a solitary, ipso-relative, mutable, elio-relative man. Why solitary, ipso-relative? Brothers and sisters had he none, yet that man's father was his grandfather's son. Why mutable, elio-relative? From infancy to maturity he had resembled his maternal procreatrix. From maturity to senility he would increasingly resemble his paternal procreator. What final visual impression was communicated to him by the mirror? The optical reflection of several inverted volumes improperly arranged and not in the order of their common letters with scintillating titles on the two bookshelves opposite. Catalog these books. Tom's Dublin Post Office Directory, 1886. Dennis Florence McCarthy's Poetical Works, Copper Beechleaf Bookmark at page 5. Shakespeare's Works, Dark Crimson Morocco, Gold Tooled. The Useful Ready Reckoner, Brown Cloth. The Secret History of the Court of Charles II, Red Cloth, Tooled Binding. The Child's Guide, Blue Cloth. The Beauties of Killarney, Wrappers. When We Were Boys by William O'Brien, M.P., Green Cloth, Slightly Faded, Envelope Bookmark at page 217. Thoughts from Spinoza, Maroon Leather. The Story of the Heavens by Sir Robert Ball, Blue Cloth. Ellis's Three Trips to Madagascar, Brown Cloth, Title Obliterated. The Stark Monroe Letters by A. Conan Doyle, Property of the City of Dublin Public Library, 106 Capel Street, Lent 21 May, Whitson Eve, 1904. Due 4 June 1904, 13 days overdue. Black cloth binding bearing white letter number ticket. Voyages in China by Viator, recovered with brown paper, red ink title. Philosophy of the Talmud, sewn pamphlet. Lockhart's Life of Napoleon, cover wanting, marginal annotations, minimizing victories, aggrandizing defeats of the protagonist. Saul und Haben by Gustav Freitag, Black Boards, Gothic Characters, Cigarette Coupon Bookmark at page 24. Hosier's History of the Russo-Turkish War, Brown Cloth of Volumes with Gummed Label, Garrison Library, Governor's Parade, Gibraltar, on verso of cover. Lawrence Bloomfield in Ireland by William Allingham, Second Edition, Green Cloth, Gilt Trefoil Design, Previous Owner's Name in Recto of Flyleaf Erased. A Handbook of Astronomy, cover, brown leather, detached, S-plates, antique letterpress, long primer, author's footnotes nonpareil, marginal clues brevier, captions small pica. The Hidden Life of Christ, black boards. In the Track of the Sun, yellow cloth, title page missing, recurrent title intestation. Physical Strength and How to Obtain It by Eugen Sandow, red cloth. Short but yet plain elements of geometry written in French by F. Ignat. Pardis and rendered into English by John Harris, D.D., London. Printed for R. Knaplock at the Bishop's Head, M.D.C.C.X.I., with dedicatory epistle to his worthy friend Charles Cox, Esquire, Member of Parliament for the Burg of Southwark and having ink calligraphed statement on the flyleaf certifying that the book was the property of Michael Gallagher, dated the 10th day of May, 1822, and requesting the person who should find it, if the book should be lost or go astray, to restore it to Michael Gallagher, Carpenter, Ducery Gate, Enniscurthy, County Wicklow, the finest place in the world. What reflections occupied his mind during the process of reversion of the inverted volumes? 
the necessity of order a place for everything and everything in its place the deficient appreciation of literature possessed by females the incongruity of an apple incuniated in a tumbler and of an umbrella inclined in a closed tool the insecurity of hiding any secret document behind beneath or between the pages of a book which volume was the largest in bulk hosier's history of the russo-turkish war what among other data did the second volume of the work in question contain the name of a decisive battle forgotten frequently remembered by a decisive officer major brian cooper tweedy remembered why firstly and secondly did he not consult the work in question firstly in order to exercise nenotechnic secondly because after an interval of amnesia when seated at the central table about to consult the work in question he remembered the nenotechnic the name of the military engagement plevna what caused him consolation in his sitting posture the candor nudity pose tranquility youth grace sex counsel of a statue erect in the center of the table an image of narcissus purchased by auction from p a wren nine bachelor's walk what caused him irritation in his sitting posture inhibitory pressure of collar size seventeen and waistcoat five buttons two articles of clothing superfluous in the costume of mature males and inelastic to the alterations of mass by expansion how was the irritation allayed he removed his collar with contained black necktie and collapsible stud from his neck to a position on the left of the table he unbuttoned successively in reversed direction waistcoat trousers shirt and vest along the medial line of irregular incrispated black hairs extending in triangular convergence from the pelvic basin over the circumference of the abdomen and umbilical fossicle along the medial line of nodes to the intersection of the sixth pectoral vertebrae thence produced both ways at right angles and terminating in circles described about two equidistant points right and left on the summits of the mammary prominences he unbraced successively each of six minus one braced trouser buttons arranged in pairs of which one incomplete what involuntary actions followed he compressed between two fingers the flesh circumjacent to a cicatrix on the left infracostal region below the diaphragm resulting from a sting inflicted two weeks and three days previously twenty three may nineteen o four by a bee he scratched imprecisely with his right hand though insensible of purition various points and surfaces of his partly exposed wholly abluted skin he inserted his left hand into the left lower pocket of his waistcoat and extracted and replaced a silver coin one shilling placed there presumably on the occasion seventeen october nineteen o three of the interment of mrs emily sinico sydney parade compile the budget for sixteen june nineteen o four debit one pork kidney three pence one copy freeman's journal one pence one bath and gratification one shilling sixpence tram fare one pence in memoriam patrick dignam five shillings two banbury cakes one pence one lunch seven pence one renewal fee for book one shilling one packet notepaper and envelopes two pence one dinner and gratification two shillings one postal order and stamp two shillings eight pence tram fare one pence one pig's foot fourpence one sheep's trotter threepence one cake 
fries, plain chocolate, one pence. One square soda bread, four pence. One coffee and bun, four pence. Loan, Stephen Dedalus, refunded, one pound, seven shillings. Balance, seventeen shillings, five pence. Total, two pounds, nineteen shillings, threepence. Credit, cash in hand, four shillings, nine pence. Commission received, Freeman's Journal, one pound, seven shillings, sixpence. Loan, Stephen Dedalus, one pound, seven shillings. Total, two pounds, nineteen shillings, threepence. Did the process of divestiture continue? Sensible of a benignant, persistent ache in his foot soles, he extended his foot to one side and observed the creases, protuberances, and salient points caused by foot pressure in the course of walking repeatedly in several different directions. Then, inclined, he disnoted the lace knots, unhooked and loosened the laces, took off each of his two boots for the second time, detached the partially moistened right sock through the forepart of which the nail of his great toe had again effracted, raised his right foot, and, having unhooked a purple elastic sock suspender, took off his right sock, placed his unclothed right foot on the margin of the seat of his chair, picked at and gently lacerated the protruding part of the great toenail, raised the part lacerated to his nostrils, and inhaled the odor of the quick, then, with satisfaction, threw away the lacerated ungual fragment. Why with satisfaction? Because the odor inhaled corresponded to other odors inhaled of other ungual fragments, picked and lacerated by Master Bloom, pupil of Mrs. Ellis's juvenile school, patiently each night in the act of brief genuflection and nocturnal prayer and ambitious meditation. In what ultimate ambition had all concurrent and consecutive ambitions now coalesced? Not to inherit by right of primogeniture, gravel kind or borough English, or possess in perpetuity an extensive domain of a sufficient number of acres, roods and perches, statute land measures, valuation forty-two pounds, of grazing turbury surrounded a baronial hall with gate lodge and carriage drive, nor, on the other hand, a terrace house or semi-detached villa, described as rue in herbe or qui sisana, but to purchase by private treaty in fee, simple, a thatched, bungalow-shaped, two-story dwelling-house of southerly aspect, surmounted by vane and lightning conductor, connected with the earth, with porch covered with parasitic plants, ivy or Virginia creeper, hall door, olive green, with smart carriage finish, and neat door brasses, stucco front with gilt tracery at eaves and gable, rising, if possible, upon a gentle eminence with agreeable prospect from balcony, with stone pillar parapet, over unoccupied and unoccupiable interjacent pastures, and standing in five or six acres of its own ground, at such a distance from the nearest public thoroughfare, as to render its house-lights visible at night above and through a quick-set horn-beam hedge of topiary cutting, situate at a given point not less than one statute mile from the periphery of the metropolis, within a time limit of not more than fifteen minutes from tram or train line, e.g. Dundrum, South, or Sutton, North, both localities equally reported by trial to resemble the terrestrial poles in being favorable climates for pathetical subjects. The premises to be held under fee-farm grant, least 999 years, the messuage to consist of one drawing-room with bay window, two lancets, thermometer affixed, one sitting-room, four bedrooms, two servants' rooms, tiled kitchen with close range and scullery, lounge hall, 
fitted with linen wall presses, fumed oak sectional bookcase containing the Encyclopedia Britannica and New Century Dictionary, transverse obsolete medieval and oriental weapons, dinner gong, alabaster lamp, bowl pendant, vulcanite automatic telephone receiver with adjacent directory, hand-tufted axminster carpet with cream ground and trellis border, loo table with pillar and claw legs, hearth with massive fire brasses and ormolu mantle chronometer clock, guaranteed timekeeper with cathedral chime, barometer with hygrographic chart, comfortable lounge settees and corner fitments upholstered in ruby plush with good springing and sunk center, three-banner Japanese screen and cuspidors, club style, rich wine-colored leather, gloss renewable with a minimum of labor by use of linseed oil and vinegar, and pyramidically prismatic central chandelier luster, bent wood perch with finger-tame parrot, expurgated language, embossed mural paper at ten per dozen with transverse swags of carmine floral design and top crown frieze, staircase, three continuous flights at successive right angles of varnished clear-grained oak, treads and risers, newel, balusters and handrail, with stepped-up panel dado, dressed with camphorated wax. Bathroom, hot and cold supply, reclining and shower. Water closet on mezzanine provided with opaque single-pane oblong window, tip-up seat, bracket lamp, brass tie rod and brace, armrests, footstool, and artistic oleograph on interface of door. Ditto, plain, servants' apartments with separate sanitary and hygienic necessaries for cook, general and between-made salary rising by biennial, unearned increments of two pounds, with comprehensive fidelity insurance, annual bonus, one pound, and retiring allowance, based on the 65 system, after 30 years' service. Pantry, buttery, larder, refrigerator, out offices, coal and wood, cellarage with wine bin, still and sparkling vintages, for distinguished guests, if entertained to dinner, evening dress, carbon monoxide gas supply throughout. What additional attractions might the grounds contain? As addenda, a tennis and fives court, a shrubbery, a glass summer house with tropical palms, equipped in the best botanical manner, a rockery with water spray, a beehive arranged on humane principles, oval flower beds in rectangular grass plots set with eccentric ellipses of scarlet and chrome tulips, blue scillas, crocuses, polyanthus, sweet william, sweet pea, lily of the valley, bulbs obtainable from Sir James W. Mackey, limited, wholesale and retail seed and bulb merchants and nurserymen, agents for chemical manures, 23 Sackville Street, Upper, an orchard, kitchen garden, and vinery protected against illegal trespassers by glass-topped mural enclosures, a lumber shed with padlock for various inventoried implements. As... Eel traps, lobster pots, fishing rods, hatchet, steel yard, grindstone, clod crusher, swath turner, carriage sack, telescope ladder, ten tooth rake, washing clogs, hay tedder, tumbling rake, bill hook, paint pot, brush, hoe, and so on. What improvements might be subsequently introduced? A rabbitry and fowl run, a dovecote, a botanical conservatory, two hammocks, ladies and gentlemen's, a sundial shaded and sheltered by laburnum or lilac trees, an exotically harmonically accorded Japanese tinkle gate bell affixed to the left lateral gate post, a capacious water butt, a lawnmower with side delivery and grass box, a lawn sprinkler with hydraulic hose. What facilities of transit were desirable? When city-bound, frequent connection by train or tram from their respective intermediate station or terminal. 
when country-bound velocipedes, a chainless free-wheel roadster cycle with side basket car attached, or draft conveyance, a donkey with wicker trap, or smart phyton with good-working solid ungular cob, roan gelding, fourteen hands. What might be the name of this erigible or erected residence? Bloom Cottage, St. Leopold's, Flowerville. Could Bloom of Seven Eccle Street foresee Bloom of Flowerville? In loose all-wool garments with Harris Tweed cap, price eight pounds six, and useful garden boots with elastic gussets and watering can, planting aligned young fir trees, syringing, pruning, staking, sowing hayseed, trundling a weed-laden wheelbarrow without excessive fatigue at sunset, amid the scent of new-mown hay, ameliorating the soil, multiplying wisdom, achieving longevity. What syllabus of intellectual pursuits was simultaneously possible? Snapshot photography, comparative study of religions, folklore relative to various amatory and superstitious practices, contemplation of the celestial constellations. What lighter recreations? Outdoor, garden, and fieldwork, cycling on level macadamized causeways, ascents of moderately high hills, natation in secluded fresh water, and unmolested river boating in secure wherry or light curricle with kedge anchor on reaches free from weirs and rapids, period of estivation. Vespertinal perambulation or equestrian circumprocession with inspection of sterile landscape and contrastingly agreeable cottagers' fires of smoking peat turves, period of hibernation. Indoor. Discussion in tepid security of unsolved historical and criminal problems. Lecture of unexpurgated exotic erotic masterpieces. House carpentry with toolbox containing hammer, all nails, screws, tin tacks, gimlet, tweezers, bullnose plane, and turnscrew. Might he become a gentleman farmer of field produce and livestock? Not impossibly, with one or two stripper cows, one pike of upland hay, and requisite farming implements, e.g. an end-to-end churn, a turnip pulper, etc. What would be his civic functions and social status among the country families and landed gentry? Arranged successively in ascending powers of hierarchical order, that of gardener, groundsman, cultivator, breeder, and, at the zenith of his career, resident magistrate or justice of the peace, with a family crest and coat of arms, and appropriate classical motto, Semper Paratus, duly recorded in the court directory, Bloom, Leopold P., M.P., P.C., K.P., L.L.D., Honoris Causa, Bloomville, Dum Drum and mentioned in court and fashionable intelligence, Mr. and Mrs. Leopold Bloom have left Kingstown for England. What course of action did he outline for himself in such capacity? A course that lay between undue clemency and excessive rigor, the dispensation of a heterogeneous society of arbitrary classes, incessantly rearranged in terms of greater and lesser social inequality, of unbiased, homogeneous, indisputable justice, tempered with mitigants of the widest possible latitude, but extractable to the uttermost farthing with confiscation of estate, real and personal, to the crown. Loyal to the highest constituted power in the land, actuated by an innate love of rectitude, his aims would be the strict maintenance of public order, the repression of many abuses, though not of all simultaneously, every measure of reform or retrenchment being a preliminary solution to be contained by a fluxion in the final solution. The upholding of the letter of the law, common, statute, and law merchant, 
against all traversers in coven and trespassers acting in contravention of bylaws and regulations, all resuscitators by trespass and petty larceny of kindlings, of Venville rights, obsolete by desuetude, all orotund instigators of international persecution, all perpetuators of international animosities, all menial molesters of domestic conviviality, all recalcitrant violators of domestic connubiality. Prove that he loved rectitude from his earliest youth. To Master Percy Upjohn at high school in 1880 he had divulged his disbelief in the tenets of the Irish Protestant Church, to which his father Rudolf Virag, later Rudolf Bloom, had been converted from the Israelitic faith and communion in 1865 by the Society for Promoting Christianity Among the Jews, subsequently abjured by him in favor of Roman Catholicism at the epoch of and with a view to his matrimony in 1888. To Daniel McGrain and Francis Wade in 1882 during a juvenile friendship, terminated by the premature emigration of the former, he had advocated during nocturnal perambulations the political theory of colonial, e.g. Canadian, expansion, and the evolutionary theories of Charles Darwin, expounded in The Descent of Man and the Origin of Species. In 1885, he had publicly expressed his adherence to the collective and national economic program advocated by James Finton Lalore, John Fisher Murray, John Mitchell, J. F. X. O'Brien, and others, the agrarian policy of Michael Davitt, the constitutional agitation of Charles Stuart Parnell, M.P. for Cork City, the program of peace, retrenchment and reform of William Ewart Gladstone, M.P. for Midlothian, N.B., and, in support of his political convictions, had climbed up into a secure position amid the ramifications of a tree on Northumberland Road to see the entrance, 2 February 1888, into the capital of a demonstrative torchlight procession of 20,000 torch-bearers, divided into 120 trade corporations, bearing 2,000 torches in escort of the Marcus of Ripon and Honest John Morley. How much and how did he propose to pay for this country residence? As per prospectus of the industrious, foreign, acclimatized, nationalized, friendly, state-aided building society, incorporated 1874, a maximum of 60 pounds per annum, being one-sixth of an assured income derived from gilt-edged securities, representing at 5% simple interest, on capital of £1,200, estimate of price at 20 years purchase, of which to be paid on acquisition and the balance in the form of annual rent, viz. £800 plus 2.5% interest on the same, repayable quarterly in equal annual installments until extinction by amortization of loan advanced for purchase within a period of 20 years, amounting to an annual rental of £64, head rent included, the title deeds to remain in possession of the lender or lenders with a saving clause envisaging forced sale, foreclosure, and mutual compensation in the event of protracted failure to pay the terms assigned, otherwise the messuage to become the absolute property of the tenant-occupier upon expiry of the period of years stipulated. What rapid but insecure means to opulence might facilitate immediate purchase? A private wireless telegraph which would transmit by dot and dash system the result of a national equine handicap, flat or steeplechase, of one or more miles and furlongs won by an outsider at odds of fifty to one at three hours, eight minutes p.m. at Ascot, Greenwich time, 
the message being received and available for betting purposes in Dublin at 2.59 Dunsink time. The unexpected discovery of an object of great monetary value, precious stone, valuable adhesive, or impressed postage stamps. 7 shilling mauve imperforate Hamburg, 1866. 4 pence rose blue paper perforate Great Britain, 1855. 1 franc stone official rouletted diagonal surcharge Luxembourg, 1878. Antique dynastical ring, unique relic in unusual repositories or by unusual means, from the air dropped by an eagle in flight, by fire amid the carbonized remains of an incendiated edifice, in the sea amid flotsam, jetsam, lagon, and derelict, on earth in the gizzard of a comestible fowl, a Spanish prisoner's donation of a distant treasure of valuables or specie or bullion lodged with a solvent banking corporation one hundred years previously at five percent compound interest of the collective worth of five million pounds sterling, a contract with an inconsiderate contractee for the delivery of thirty-two consignments of some given commodity in consideration of cash payment on delivery per delivery at the initial rate of one shilling fourpence to be increased constantly in the geometric progression of two, one shilling fourpence, one shilling twopence, one pence, twopence, fourpence, eightpence, one shilling fourpence, two shillings, eightpence, to thirty-two terms a prepared scheme based on a study of the laws of probability to break the bank at Monte Carlo, a solution of the secular problem of the quadrature of the circle, government premium one million pounds sterling. Was vast wealth acquirable through industrial channels? The reclamation of Dunham's of waste arenary soil, proposed in the prospectus of Agendath Natame, Bleibstrustrass, Berlin, West 15, by the cultivation of orange plantations and melon fields and reafforestation, the utilization of waste paper, fells of sewer rodents, human excrement possessing chemical properties, in view of the vast production of the first, vast number of the second, and immense quantity of the third, every normal human being of average vitality and appetite producing annually cancelling by-products of water, a sum total of 80 pounds, mixed animal and vegetable diet, to be multiplied by 4,386,035, the total population of Ireland, according to the census returns of 1901. End of section 54. Read by Richard Wallace, 15 February 2011.